Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. Please note, this podcast is a little racy in spots. If you have a delicate constitution and choose to continue listening, good for you. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hello, my name is Joshua Moore, and I'm the author of the novels Some Things That Meant the World to Me, which was a San Francisco Chronicle bestseller and one of O Magazine's top ten reads of 2009. And I'm going to read today from my new sordid romp, Termite Parade. The book hopes to answer that age-old question, if you drop your girlfriend down the stairs and no one sees you do it, did you really drop her? This chapter is from relatively early in the action. I was just getting home from another lousy day at work, lousy month at work, getting home to my girlfriend who was an eight on the lousy scale herself. The whole apartment stunk like burning brakes, so I asked, What's that smell? while waving my hand in front of my nose. And Meyer said, Don't worry, dinner's almost ready. She said, I had a great day. Thanks for checking. She said, Things need to change, Derek. They really do. Let's up her status to a nine on the lousy scale. I thought Meyer had murdered another of her dad's Filipino recipes, but she kept calling this dish chicken parmesan. Problem was, I'd seen plenty of chicken parmesan in my day, so I knew that the chicken wasn't supposed to be pounded flat as a tortilla or cooked so long that it took nine back and forth with a knife to get through the skinny bastard. And between you and me, I've never known chicken to smell like burning brakes. Myard must have noticed me scowling at the food because she said, You can cook dinner anytime you want. It doesn't taste that bad, I said. Such a ladies' man, she said. Better bump her up to a 9.5. After we chewed our burned breaks chicken, we were off to a bon voyage party for our friend Shauna, who was moving to Cleveland to take a new job. It might not be totally true to say that Shauna was our friend. Shauna was my friend. We'd worked together years ago at an auto parts store and had dated for a few months. Myard was a jealous person in the first place, and she was of the opinion that Shauna still had a crush on me, though I kept trying to tell her that there was nothing going on between us. The mood Myard was in during our burned breaks dinner was enough for me to know she didn't want to say bon voyage to anyone let alone a woman she thought had a thing for me. She'd rather white-knuckle through the party than sit home and wonder what styles of no good me and Shauna were test-driving. We arrived at the Bon Voyage and immediately Myard started drinking vodka tonics. Really drinking, rock star drinking. Her piss-poor mood had gotten pisser and poorer, right when we walked in, because Shauna pronounced Myard's name wrong, calling her Myrid. 
It's pronounced like the verb, Mired said to her. You know, mired in depression, mired in immense mental anguish, mired in a diabolical vortex of low self-esteem. Got it, Shauna said. Yeah, that's what you said last time, Mired said, batting her eyes like a sly homecoming queen. While the other twenty guests and I were in the living room talking about Shauna and Cleveland and all the opportunities that awaited her there, Mired sat alone in the kitchen, though we could all see her down the hallway from where we'd planted. Every once in a while she'd yell, I'm sure going to miss you, Shauna. And she'd laugh real hard, and these twenty other guests, with their forty wide eyes, just stared at her, pretending to be deaf, and I'd deflect by droning on about Cleveland being the best city splattered on our continent. You see, all these surprised eyes weren't just learning that Meyer drank too much and had a sailor's mouth and didn't like Shauna. No, they soaked up the fact that there was barely trust between Meyer and me, and the trust we did have was heavy and run down, a burden we lugged behind us like concrete shadows. After an hour or so and probably seven drinks, Meyer blurted, Hey, Derek, maybe as a going-away gift, you should have sex with Shauna. Forty humongous eyes and twenty tongue-tied guests. Shauna looked at me. I was supposed to do something. This was clearly supposed to be handled by me, but I didn't know what to say. So I tried to change the subject, asking, So, uh, does anyone know the average rainfall in Cleveland? But no one was listening, all looking toward the kitchen, admired. Shauna had this seething look on her face, and she said, Do you have something to say to me? And Mired said, Why do you ask? And Shauna said, Are you insulting me in my own house? And Mired said, Absolutely not. And Shauna said, Because you can leave right now. And Mired said, I'll be over here minding my manners. And we all went back to talking, Shauna throwing an occasional stink eye at Mired. Guests reluctantly nibbled on chips and slurped the bottoms of their empty cocktails, chewing ice cubes, everyone too uneasy to replenish supplies because that meant a trip into the kitchen near Mired's mean mouth. I knew her well enough to assume that things would diffuse if the other stunned guests and I ignored her outbursts, and it worked for a while. But then Mired slurred, Shauna, are you sure you wouldn't like to give Derek a blowjob for old time's sake? Twenty other guests and forty scathing eyes, their naked disgust, all staring at Mired as she embarrassed herself, embarrassed us, me, guilty by association, their odd eyes ricocheted from Meyer to Shauna to me and back around, a vicious carousel, all these gazes grazing each of us. There was no way I could talk Meyer down from the heights of her lousiest conspiracy, the lousiest one of all, because this time there were all these eyewitnesses, instead of just the two of us, 
berating each other. We'll all watch, Myard said, aiming another homecoming smile toward Shauna, make a big batch of popcorn. Out, Shauna said, out, out, out of my house. And she hopped up and ran toward the kitchen, but some of the guests got in her way. Shauna turned to me and said, get her out of here. And I said, fine, fine. And Myard said to her, who do you think you are? And I didn't even get a chance to say, bon voyage. Instead, I helped Myard stagger to the door and stagger down the stairs, almost falling twice. And I put her in the passenger seat and drove us home, punching our address into my GPS and paying sharp attention to the speed limit because of the whiskey I'd had. The whole ride, she kept saying, drop me off and go give it to her. Shut up. At least let her jerk you off. Shut up. You treat me like a dog, Myard said. This was so goddamn frustrating because there wasn't anything going on between Shauna and me, and I was tired of walking on eggshells. I didn't need to. Shouldn't eggshell walking be reserved for people who are actually trying to hide something? I mean, all I wanted to do was go say bon voyage to an old friend, and now I had to listen to all this. Our conversation vanished as Myard passed out right in the middle of our latest screaming match. I sat at a red light and thought about her earplugs. Myard wore them to sleep. She was the lightest sleeper I'd ever met. Even the refrigerator's compressor clicking on could wake her up. I remember thinking to myself right then that I'd wished I'd had my own pair of earplugs while we were at Shauna's. I could have sat there, and I'd have had no idea what Myard was saying. I was thinking about how beautiful it would be to block out all those ugly words— and the light turned green, but I stayed right there. Couldn't bring myself to drive home yet. The light turned red again, which made me happy, and I sat there feeling happy, but with an idling dread, because I knew the light would eventually change, and this time there was a car behind me. I didn't want to get home or wake her up, not without my own pair of earplugs. I pulled up to our lousy apartment building, and Myard was out cold. I shook her. I said, get up. But she didn't move or say anything. The key was still in the ignition, so I turned the car on and found a radio station playing Leonard Skinnerd because Myard hated that hillbilly shit. I made the music blare and gave her a few shakes, but she didn't move, so I shut the car off and went to her side, opened her door, and said, let's go. She finally answered me by saying, I can't. And I said, can you walk on your own? But since her eyes had shut again and her head swiveled every direction like a broken compass, I knew she couldn't. I threw her arm around my shoulder and guided her. We only took two steps before her legs went boneless, flaccid, falling, 
but I was able to catch her, swooping her up in my arms the way a groom carries a bride on their wedding night. We lived on the second story, and I started struggling up the stairs, and she said, Admit you want to have sex with her. And I didn't say anything, didn't need to renovate her accusations. Concentrating on climbing those steps, if we were going to keep fighting, I didn't want to say anything until we'd barricaded ourselves in our apartment. So I tried to ignore her, tried pretending that I wore earplugs or that my ears were locked like safes and her words didn't know the combinations. But it didn't work. I had no guard from anything that came out of her mouth. Meyer said, go back and screw her. And I tried to cinch my ears closed. I said, shut up. And she said, I can't believe the way you treat me. And I said, that makes two of us. And she said, I deserve more than you. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, couldn't fathom how she figured she deserved more. It didn't make any sense since I was the one trying to do the right thing, trying to help my drunken girlfriend get up the stairs while she berated me for something that wasn't even true. I was halfway there, only six steps left, my arms shaking. I looked at Myard's face as she kept telling me how much better she deserved, which got me thinking about how much better I deserved, which got me thinking that maybe everyone thought they deserved more, which led me to the very notion of love. I remembered that old cliché, if you love something, set it free. I knew that wasn't the end of it, that more words followed, but I couldn't remember what they were, and frankly, I didn't care. All I wanted was to set her free and never hear her say another syllable. I arched my back because she seemed to be getting heavier with every step. She'd been getting heavier for months now. Every time she forced me to appointments with our lousy couple's counselor, Every time she said mechanics don't make enough money. Every time we had our maintenance sex. Something we did these days to avoid a breakdown like getting an oil change. Heavier with all her suspicious fits about women she assumed I wanted to sleep with because it wasn't always like this. She wasn't always like this. There were months, good months, when we first got together. Months when we never fought. Going out to bars and shooting pool and laughing. Or we'd order pork fried rice and get stoned and stuff our faces till we couldn't eat another bite. And we'd stroke each other's stretched bellies as we lay in bed, talking about our due dates, Lamaze classes, what colors we'd paint our baby's bedrooms. Myard had the sexiest laugh, too. I told her so on our first date, and she said, You're only saying that, so I'll sleep with you tonight. And I said, I'll say anything if you sleep with me tonight. And she, laughing again, said, 
Well, at least you're honest. I stared in her eyes. I remember staring so ferociously into them. For better or worse, I said, I'll always be honest with you. Now I craned our combined weight up to the next step, my biceps burning, arms unable to hold her as high, which put increased pressure on the small of my back. Myard said, You should love me more, Derek, but you can't stop treating me like I'm a worthless dog. I felt a puncturing, like a nail jammed into a tire, except there was no tire, just me. Like something had ripped into my skin, and there I was, leaking affection and patience and resilience. There I was, spilling love. Before I really realized what I was doing, my feet worked their way around, doing a 180 on that thin step, and I faced the bottom. Myard mumbled something, but all I could make out was worthless dog. I knew she'd said it again. So I let my arms go limp and dropped her and watched her hit right at my feet and flip backward and then bounce all the way to the bottom of the stairs and land in a contorted heap, tangled like human laundry. She didn't make any noise, didn't move, just lay there. I didn't move or make any noise either, standing and looking down at her, horrified, like I just slit my wrists and waited for my blood to drain. Not dead, but dying, life over. Because I'd go to jail for years. Because you couldn't do something like this without monster consequences. I looked around to see if anyone was watching. There didn't seem to be, so I rushed down the stairs and crouched next to her mangled face. I said, Are you all right? I said, Jesus, baby, you fell down the stairs. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.